afternoon. My name is Vivian Fisher, manager of the African American Department here at the Central Library. And it is my pleasure this afternoon to welcome our special guest, Charles Reese. I want to read um, David Leeming's um, piece that he wrote in the introduction of, his, of um, Reese's book, James Baldwin, A Soul on Fire. He writes, writing in the New York Times on April 12, 2000, David DeWitt called the off-Broadway production of Howard B. Simmons' James Baldwin, A Soul on Fire, the best sort of theatrical biography, and praised the passionate performance of the league actor, Charles Reese. Howard Simmons has passed away, but Charles Reese is still with us, and he has made it his life's work to keep the public's attention on the play and on the late James Baldwin's soul as revealed in the play. The publication of his book during the years mark, marking the 25th anniversary of Baldwin's death is one result of Mr. Reese's commitment. I met Charles Reese 10 years ago at Indigo Books and Cafe in Brooklyn. He informed me that evening that Howard Simmons had been inspired to write his play by the chapter in my Baldwin's biography that dealt with a little-known but central event in Baldwin's life. In May of 1963, three months before the March on Washington, Baldwin had written to then-Attorney General Robert Kennedy deploring the failure of his brother's administration to treat civil rights as a moral rather than a political issue. The Attorney General agreed to meet in New York with Baldwin and a group of influential blacks, a group that would include, among others, Lena Horne, Lorraine Hansberry, Harry Belafonte, Kenneth Clark, and a freedom writer, Jerome Smith, to discuss the Negro issue. The meeting would be a disaster, but that is another story. When Simon focused, focuses on in his play is what he imagines to have been Baldwin's inner state before he left his apartment for the meeting on May 24th. As a Baldwin friend and biographer, I can attest to the accuracy of Simon's imagination and as one who has seen the play to Reese's interpretation of Simon's vision. Baldwin was in many ways a burning soul, a man who loved the simple joys of life, eating, singing, loving, but he was above all a prophet, a man possessed by a driving and demanding need to remind his people, black and white, of how they had lost sight of the right path. He and his friends would remind Kennedy of that moral blindness when in the meeting Kennedy suggested that blacks, like his fellow Irishmen, could pull themselves up by their bootstraps and that in 40 years or so, one might even become president. Baldwin reminded him that blacks had arrived here long before the Irish, and that an Irish man was now a president, whereas blacks were still required to supplicate and beg you for justice. James Baldwin was, of course, right, and ironically, Kennedy was close to right. In his rhetorical estimate, of the time it would take for a black man to become president. David Lemming, James Baldwin's biographer, friend, and former secretary, New York, September 13, 2011. 
It is my pleasure to welcome Charles Reese. Four little girls in Alabama got bombed 
in Birmingham. 1963, November the 22nd to be exact, the President of the United States of America was shot in Dallas, Texas. I was born in 1963, and my mother told me that was on her back at eight months in the March on Washington, so all the information I got was from her back. <laughs> but also in 1963, there was a wonderful man by the name of James Baldwin. Everybody go, James Baldwin? James Baldwin. He was a fierce writer. He was a fierce activist. He was a fierce man of, I call, many distinctions. But today, I'm celebrating him as a civil rights activist who didn't always get his due. But if you want to learn about Baldwin, it's all inside the book. I had a dear friend of mine by the name of Howard Simon, who was my dear Morehouse brother, and he actually wrote this actual play form. I starred in the play on Off-Broadway, which she talked about a little bit, and what we decided to do, since Mr. Simon is gone, it was my job to become an editor to get the playbook published. So now we have it published. And what I want to do for you is to share something from you from this particular book. And then we're going to journey through some other things about Baldwin. As you know, in 1963, James Baldwin had a secret meeting. Everybody go secret? Secret. Because y'all haven't heard about it, right? <laughs> well, let's go. The secret is out now. It's out. 1963, Baldwin met Robert Kennedy. But he decided he wasn't going to go by himself. He had to have some other Negroes. Now, we were called Negroes back there. Everybody go, Negro. Negro. Say it properly, Negro. Negro. Okay, let me give you a, give you a little sidebar. Sidebar about Negro. Now, I'm going to come back to that. See, that's that other part of me over there. Sidebar. I was born a Negro. I was the youngest of seven children. Same mother, same father. But let me tell you how I became black. On my birth certificate, I was born Negro. In Washington, D.C., when you go to elementary school, my grandmother said, you are a Negro. When you get to the class, tell Miss Gibson you're a Negro, and you can open up class for a whole week. Recognize your name and, that, and your nationality Negro. I go to class, five years old, stand up, see my name, say, oh, my name's Charles Reese, and I'm a Negro. Miss Gibson says, son, I'm sorry, you're not a Negro, you're black, because James Baldwin said, see it, I'm black and proud, that's how I came black. Who <laughs> <laughs> sir? That's how I became black. But Baldwin had to find a good group of Negroes to bring to this meeting because the Kennedys had read his book called The Fire Next Time, which we're going to do some reading from later. And in The Fire Next Time, it was fiery hot up in that book. But the Kennedys got hold to it, and they thought, well, maybe Baldwin would be the person to talk to. So he got some people together, like Lorraine Hansberry, who at that time had, was the first African-American woman who had a play on Broadway. And anybody know the name of that play? There it is. Not only did he invite Lorraine Hansberry, he decided that he needed to invite Lena Horne because she had the first African-American contract for a studio. Then he decided, you know what? Dale! They like, come and we won't go home. He said, Harry Belafonte, come on up in here. And he also invited Dr. Kenneth Clark. And if you remember, the Dr. Kenneth Clark was a sociologist, psychologist that did the Brown versus Board doll study. And there was one important man in the meeting by the name of Jerome Smith. He was a freedom writer who was the youngest man in the meeting. So I just want to share with you our reimagined play versions of what we've come up with to give you a taste of what Baldwin was going through in his mind getting ready for this meeting. Now, when you're dealing with James Baldwin, you have to realize if you're in a room by yourself, you can say 
or do anything you want to when you're in a room by yourself, right? So I want y'all to come on into Baldwin's room in 1963. Remember, we still had some signs. You couldn't sit next to people and do all these things, but I want you to just bring your imagination and pretend that you're in his room. And Baldwin's getting ready for this meeting, and he's just, just pandering around, and he's just trying to say, oh, i got to get ready for this meeting. Lord, no. i got to wash my body. Lord knows I don't want to go nowhere stinking. It is a sin, an abomination against God. I got to wash the ash off my skin, my black, ugly skin. Now, my daddy always said I was ugly. And then everybody else said it. Oh, black Jimmy is so ugly. Ugly by whose standards? What's ugly is black inequality. If you want to speak on a U-G-L-Y, ugly is when I'm in the White House. Not as hired help, but I came through the front door. Some official white person without a title asked someone behind me, who is the ugly black man? And I'm in the White House just like him. <laughs> ugly is when world-renowned black entertainers like Josephine Baker, Paul Robeson, receive better public accommodations abroad than in their own country. Perhaps it's not the black man's country. I got to wash the ash off my knees, but it's not the white man's either. You see... The native said, the land belonged to the great one. I've got to wash the ash off my knees. Ugly is when you can't see me from your pulpit, Reverend, up in Harlem because I've got sugar in my shoes. I've got to wash the ash off my knees. Always on my knees for one reason or another. Sometimes these folk make me want to wash off all my skin, be born anew, lifted up as in a host of a multitude of giving praises, shouting in the morning time, calling on my Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. For he has anointed me to be he that could stand persecution for persecution's sake, bringing down upon those who do not love me the wrath of my Father. Oh, Lord, what manner of man is this? All nations of him are blessed. All things are done by his hand. He spoke to the sea, and the sea stood still. Now, ain't that a witness for my Lord? Ain't that a witness for my Lord? My soul will be a witness for my Lord. Said, who will be a witness Standing hand in hand for the final is near, y'all. It is now or doomsday, Mr. Kennedy. What shall it be? Family man of Hickory Hill, Hyannis, descendants of those railroad workers who were always overworked with unfair pay. What shall I wear to meet you? Shall it be a gold bronze? 
Africans, and a ruby red sun from which I flow through Mother Africa. What I wear, how I wear my hair, have become confusing apparatuses of control administered by the uninformed wearing uniforms of oppressive colors. What shall I wear to meet the man having no name? Shall it be of a raging blue where millions of my ancestors, they drowned waiting in the passage where Tichaba flew across? Who? Shall it be the ocean blue? Because blue is what I am, cause that man that left me
kind of sort of uh, gives us a little taste. And remember, I want you to remember, this was written in 1963. But when I read it sometimes, I have to catch myself and going, where are we? Where are we really? The title of the section to his nephew is called My Dungeon Shook. And it was so interesting when we were doing our call and response to um, the first song that we're actually doing, it has a little uh, lyric in there that says, the dungeon shook and the chain came off. How ironic that Baldwin is talking about a dungeon shook. We're going to have to shake some of the chains off here in 2013. It was a letter to my nephew on the 100th anniversary of the emancipation. And he simply says here, this innocent country set you down in a ghetto in which, in fact, it intended that you should perish. Let me spell out precisely what I mean by that, for the heart of the matter is here and the root of my dispute with my country. As he says more to his nephew, you were born where you were born and faced the future that you faced because you were black and for no other reason. The limits of your ambition were thus expected to be set forever. You were born into a society which spelled out with brutal clarity and in as many ways as possible that you were a worthless human being. You were not expected to aspire to excellence. You were expected to make peace with mediocrity. Wherever you have turned, James, and that just happens to be his nephew's name, James. Wherever you have turned, James, in your short time on this earth, and he was 15 at that time, you have been told where you could go and what you could do and how you could do it and where you could live and whom you could marry. I know your countrymen do not agree with me about this, and I hear them saying, you exaggerate. They do not know Harlem, and I do. So do you. Take no one's word for anything. I'm going to say that again. Take no one's word for anything, including mine. But trust your experience. Know whence you came. Know whence you came. Know whence you came. If you know whence you came, there's really no limit to where you can go. The details and symbols of your life have been deliberately constructed to make you believe what white people say about you. Please try to remember that what they believe as well as what they do and cause you to endure does not testify to their, your inferiority, but to their inhumanity and fear. Please try to be clear, dear James, the storm which rages about your youthful head today, about the reality which lies behind the words acceptance and integration. Everybody go, acceptance and integration. There is no reason for you to try to become like white people, and there's no basis whatever for their impertinent assumption that they must accept you. The really terrible thing, old buddy, is that you must accept them. And I mean that very seriously. You must accept them and accept them with love. Everyone say love. Love. For those innocent people have no other hope. They are in effect still trapped in a history which they do not understand. And until they understand it, they cannot be released from it. 
They have had to believe for many years, and, in, and for innumerable reasons, that black men are inferior to white men. Many of them, indeed, know better. But, as you will discover, people find it very difficult to act on what they know. To act is to be committed. To act is to be committed. And to be committed is to be in danger. In this case, the danger in the minds of most white Americans is the loss of their identity. Try to imagine how you feel if you woke up one morning to find the sun shining and all the stars aflame. You'd be frightened because it is out of the order of nature. Any upheaval in the universe is terrifying because it so profoundly attacks one's sense of one's own reality. Well, the black man has functioned in the white man's world as a fixed star, as an immovable pillar, and as he moves out of his place, heaven and earth are shaken to their foundations. You don't be afraid, I said, that it was intended that you should perish in the ghetto. Perish by never being allowed to go behind the white man's definitions, by never being allowed to spell your proper name. You have, and many of us have, defeated this intention. And by a terrible law, a terrible paradox, those innocents who believe that your imprisonment made them safe are losing their grasp to reality. But these men, as you, but these men are your brothers. I want to say that one more time. But these men are your brothers. Your lost younger brothers. And if the word integration means anything, this is what it means. That we, with love, shall force our brothers to see themselves as they are to cease fleeing from reality and begin to change it. For this is your home, my friend. Do not be driven from it. Great men have done great things here and will again. And we can make America what America must become. It will be hard, James, but you come from sturdy peasant stock. Men who pick cotton and damn rivers and built railroads, and in the teeth of the most terrifying odds, <coughs> achieved an unassailable and monumental dignity. You come from a long line of great poets, some of the greatest poets since Homer. One of them said that at a time I thought I was lost, my dungeon shook, and my chains fell off. You know and I know that the country is celebrating 100 years of freedom, 100 years too soon. We cannot be free until they are free. God bless you, James, and God speak your uncle, James. <laughs> Feels like we're in another Twilight Zone of some sort, yeah. when you hear that. I just want to do this. I think it's the perfect time. I just want to go around the room really quickly, those who will, and just give me one word that, is, that describes what this piece means today to today's society. Just one word. If you want to repeat someone else, this fine. Let's start right here. Okay. Um, I'll say uh, freedom. Freedom. Change. Change. 
change? It's one. It's one. One. Sabbath. Sabbath? Okay. Sad. Learning. Learning. True. True. Inspire. Inspire. Hmm. Freedom. Knowing. Knowing. Sadness. Acceptance. Hmm. Yes. Relevance. Relevance. Like that. An experience like that. <coughs> Evolving. Evolving like that. Yes. Yes. Yes, you. <coughs> Respect like that. You. Revelation. Revelation. Identity. Identity in the red. Freedom. Right in the back. Acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Let's go over to the side over here. I like the man over there with those wonderful glasses. <coughs> with the gray beard. Yes. What's your word? Uh, inspirational. Got it. The hat. Loving that. Yes. Oh, compassion. Compassion coming around. Right here. Love. Love. Thank you. Home. Home. Mmm. Understanding. Mmm. Pride. Pride. Visionary. Visionary. Better. Better. Like that word. Relevant. Relevant. Same. Ah. <laughs> Show last night, and 
baby, y'all got some things going on. So let's just use that. The third, this is, I call this Thurgood Marshall town. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, this is a, I mean, historically, when it comes to the civil rights movement, Baltimore was, was, was in it. So let, let, let's look at um, how, uh, and let's talk about this, because see, we've got young people in here who are not going to get this information any other way unless we start talking about it. So I'm going to start things. Let's talk about Baltimore in 1963. Somebody stand up and tell me what's going on in 63 in Baltimore. Come on. I have historians all around. Yes. Well, I'm not a historian, but um, what I remember um, about 63, uh, I was in junior high school, Harrowburg Junior High, just the same year that Martin Luther King uh, was assassinated. I remember my mother making us listen to these LPs by some man called Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, growing up in Baltimore, we would go to church on Sunday, St. Francis Xavier Church, mm -hmm. and the, the 9 o'clock Mass was usually for the children. But my mother would go with us because Catholic Mass only lasted about 45 minutes. And her big thing was, well, kids, y'all can either go with me or you can go to your grandmother's house. Well, where you going, my well, it's time to pick it. We're going to Northwood. Mm. Northwood Shopping Center. So that's some of the stuff that I remember. Okay. 68 is when King got shot. Okay. So she was in 63 to 58. That's what happens with history. That's why we have a terrible history. Oh, um, yeah. Kennedy. Kennedy got shot. Yeah. It was Kennedy got shot. <coughs> Somebody pick up off that story and come on back in 63 in Baltimore. We're going to do Baltimore. 1963, I left for Berlin to be at the wall. Stand up. Enoch, y'all better get this story quickly. <laughs> yes. Um, 1963, when John Kennedy got shot, I was six years old. And I went to St. Peter Plager uh, Catholic School, and we got sent home. And because school closed, it was all big news. And I got home, and my grandmother was in the living room just crying and all upset and concerned. And, you know, a lot was going on in the neighborhood because in our community, we saw um, John F. Kennedy as kind of like the savior kind of president, even though he didn't do a lot of things that we thought he should have done, right. he still considered him to be a good president for our community. Mm. Kennedy shot. Yes, ma'am. August 28th, I believe, 63 mm -hmm. was the day. Two things happened. One, Baltimore was the finally opening up Winter Park, integrated. Wow. At the same time, it was the same day that Martin Luther King gave his speech on that very same day, simultaneously. Wow. Is that interesting? Wow. Yes. This is good, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I was getting ready to acknowledge the same thing she just said. Um, in 1963, I was a senior for part, and I remember coming down the steps, uh, because it was an hour different between here and Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were telling us, you know, that the president had been shot. And I just remember how it affected me. You would have thought he was a part of your own family. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, at the time, um, there were not very many blacks. I guess you could count us all with two hands. Mm 
because mm. this was, I started uh, Forest Park in 
Um, my family is notorious for carrying certain kinds of cards, some pink, some red, in this case, black and white. Um, got back into the car, my friend Sheldon looked at me, saw what I was carrying, and said, you always liked those niggers, didn't you, Arthur? And that was the last time I ever spoke to Sheldon. Mm -hmm. You know, you get some stories. That's why I like library. Give this library a round of applause. Women were not encouraged to go to college just like Dr. Harrison just said, but he is the real deal. 
It's a Rockefeller school. The Rockefellers were sleeping with slaves. Oh! Ergo, I like that word. Everybody go, ergo. There were all these mulatto children. So the wives of the Rockefellers, this is how I got the story. I'm going to take the people a minute, but this is how I got it. The wives of the Rockefellers said, y'all will have to do something with these babies. Some could pass for white, some could. Ergo, Spelman College. They're endowed by the Rockefellers. When I first got to uh, Spelman, well, when I got in Morehouse, Spelman was our sister school, so we take classes together. And I always thought it was very interesting that my sister dorm, I stayed in Thurman Hall, named after Howard Thurman, but my sister dorm was a Chadwick. A Chadwick was my sister dorm. That was the maiden name of one of the Rockefellers wives. They named all the buildings after the maiden names of the Rockefeller women. They knew! I done told it! But you so so by the time we got to by the time we got to celebrate 100 years, but remember, like I said, 1867 Morehouse, 1881, um, Spellman. So there was this big break. But well, all the schools actually started in the basement of the church, right. and that was Friendship Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, and uh, Morehouse actually moved from um, I think it was they were in Augusta somewhere. They moved to Atlanta, and so this is where we come to King. King's father went to Morehouse, and of course King went to Morehouse. Getting back to King, because this meeting was three months before the March on Washington, what was fascinating is that people realized that most of these people, they were still young kids. They were, uh, everybody was under 40. In that particular meeting, everybody was under 40. Martin Luther King got to Morehouse College when he was 15 years old. So he got his, he got his BA degree, he was just 19. By the time he got his master's, he was just like 20. So by the time he got his, he had his PhD, before they had him doing the bus boycott with Rosa Parks. That is a, and a very interesting thing to note about how he, get, how he got all his education. Now, he met Coretta Scott because Coretta was going to be an opera singer, y'all. She was at the New she was at the conservatory. She said, I'm going to give up all of this. She used to do concerts for the movement. But she gave up that career so that she could be there standing with him on that. But I say all that part of history, jump back and forth between 1867 to 63, is that, you know, within those hundred years, we have a hundred year history there that we don't talk about. I'm just trying to talk about just 50. <laughs> you know, because within the last 50 years, we are now in the middle of this wheel whereby the changes that happened from 63 to 2013. Have we recognized them? Do we talk about them? How are we teaching our children about them? I mean, most of our young children now get information. They might know things maybe five years ago, maybe ten. And when they try to, when you try to go back, you say no. I hear you. I, I agree with oh, you agree? With, okay, okay. When, when, when you try, you now. I'm trying to get. I'm back in 1867, so I know you're probably saying this man is old. I'm just turned 50. Okay. You know, so, you know, but you know, I can act like he's 12. I think I was a kid. Because he, he's just, he's like, he's so entertaining. But I'm glad you're here. But see, this is what it's really all about. What's your name, my brother? Deshaun. Deshaun, how old are you? Deshaun. 13 years old. So now we got, now this will be the next historian. I know you, you might not remember everything today, but don't worry about it. It'll come back to you later. And please share some of these stories. So I don't feel like I'm over the hole. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all, you need to give him a double shot.
after you if they don't feel you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They, they, they won't. Kids, they, they, they won't. I'm, I'm honoring you, my brother. I'm really honoring you. And I'm honoring you right now with the Langston Hughes poem because this is one of the first poems I learned from my sixth grade teacher. And this is just for you. It's called I Too by Langston Hughes. Oh, yeah. I Too oh, yeah. America. I am yes, the doctor, yeah. brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes, but I laugh, eat well, and grow strong tomorrow. I will eat at the table when company comes, and no one will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen. Then, they, then besides, they will see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. I, too, am America, and so am you, my on this side. I to move to this side. You know, when you start something, you got to finish it. But um, thank you so much. That, 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 that becomes my joy. Love going around talking to people, but when you have a young <coughs> teenager in the room, you've got to acknowledge them. Let them know that they, uh, they count for something. Um, I want the whole city of Baltimore. I want you to read this book, because we're going we're gonna to sign some of these. I ain't got but about 20, so let's get them all gone. <laughs> okay. um, but I am going to put a challenge out to everyone in this room. I want everyone in this room, including you, to read The Fire Next Time. Let's have a read-off. <laughs> that's that's going to be your challenge. Let's have a read You can go back. And listen, so somebody, that's your mom? Who are you? Your aunt, auntie? She'll be buying yours. I set you up. I set you up. I set you up. She'll be buying yours. Okay? Um, because, I, and, 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 if you, and you can also get it from the library. The library will be so glad when you go up there and say, can I get James Baldwin a uh, fire next time? She'll be so happy because she has to go through it. If she can't find it here, they can go to all the libraries and you can move all the books here and have all your friends come here and read it. That's my little secret to libraries. When I can't find something, I move it to my library and then I put it back into my library so it's always there. That's how you move books around. Okay. But I want you to challenge, I want everyone to read The Fire Next Time. Now, if we start reading it Monday, Tuesday, y'all can be finished before the first quarter in March. I'll give you to the end of March. That's enough time. <coughs> you know, those who have Kindles, you might want to make it faster. But can, can everybody make a commitment to do that and pass it on to somebody? Can we, can we get that commitment? Okay, well, here's the plan. I don't see everybody's hand up. <laughs> okay, I want to see some hands. Okay. This not hard. Listen, you will go to a movie, the book only, let me tell you how much the book costs. The book only, eight, okay, it's $13 in the U.S. and $15 in Canada. So y'all in the U.S. So, $15 commitment. That is a movie. So, everybody hand up. I'll take y'all seriously. I, 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 agree I agree to participate, to participate in the James Baldwin read-off. Read I'm going to get, I'm going to get a, copy a copy of, of the, fire next time. the Fire Next Time. The Fire Next Time. The Fire Next Time. When I say fire, you say time. Fire. Time. Fire. Now, I will come back. All right. 
I will come back and get into this room, and we come back and talk through the fire next time. And then you have to bring some young kids. We want those 15 year olds. Okay? Because the only way they're going to get here if you bring them. <laughs> yeah. If you bring them. Now, so, and I, I, I will make a commitment to come back. And we'll figure out that a little later. But I had to get that in. Yes, ma'am. I would like for them to write at least a paragraph of what they what they got from what, what they read. All right, side B, not a promise. Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Hey, hey, hey. This is Baltimore. Listen, this is your library. I'm just a facilitator and a challenger. So she would like. Everybody raise your hand. I will. I promise to to write a paragraph, paragraph about my impressions on the fire next time. He's done. Doctor Harrison put that one in. See, we got a Baltimore. Because see, I know that she did. She went. She was down to Fort Lauderdale. So I got her story. She was down to Fort Lauderdale cleaning up beaches back in the day. Yeah, she, 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 but I didn't tell her. That's my job. Tell it. Everybody go tell it. Go tell it. Come now. That'll be our next day's ball book. Yes. The price of the ticket. Oh, see, they gonna make y'all read for days. The price of the ticket. The price of the ticket. Okay, what we'll do is, this is what we'll do. Let's let them handle A and B, and then we'll help them see their way together when we come back. Okay, we'll have that from them. See, I gave y'all a break on that. I gave y'all a break on that. Two commitments. Two commitments. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. So, here's the deal. I want to read one more piece from the book, and then what we're going to do after that is that um, I am going to uh, read one more piece from the book, but I'm going to close out with a Nikki Giovanni poem. All right. That was a tribute to James Baldwin. Mm -hmm. And I think that will kind of sort of set us in the pace for getting you ready to read this book of the fire next time. And then we'll do a little QA, and then we got some little music. We'll put our music back on, we'll sign little books, and then we'll get some good picture taken. But I really want us to engage in some QAs. You can ask questions about the James Baldwin meeting is what we can talk about. I'll go into more details on that. And we can also ask some questions that you have about James Baldwin. I have a wonderful way of answering James Baldwin questions. And when you ask me, you find out. <laughs> All right, so everybody keep your mind, thoughts there. And let's make it engaging. You are here, not because they had the thing outside. You are here specifically because you belong here for today. Mm -hmm. Now, I flew in from California. We have been talking about doing this for a while. And I want to thank uh, one more time. Teresa, thank you so much. She's just a joy. I want you all to go back and make sure you write some letters to this library. This is how funding keeps going on for these programs. That's a new type of activism. Write those letters. And because you have email, it's really simple. You get one letter, have 20 of y'all sign on it. That's, that's an easy one. That's easy one. So I want to share with you a little bit about Lorraine Hansberry and, and, and um, Baldwin in this actual meeting. Um, there were, the, the meeting was a very intense meeting because when you get folk in one room, sometimes you can't get them to get past a paragraph. But in this particular meeting, um, Lorraine Hansberry and James Baldwin were on the same page and most of the other people. But this little passage I'm going to read now really gives you a taste of what Baldwin experienced after the meeting. Because remember, we never had a video of the meeting, so we got our account from a book. But the play, what we do in the play is that we give you a, a, a way of 
hearing it and how they infuse the words into it. So this is a little scene between James Baldwin and Lorraine Hansberry, and we'll see how I'll make Lorraine work. <laughs> and y'all know Baldwin had a mouth on him, right? Yeah. So I'm taking the Fifth Amendment right now. Lucky is a brother man, you can, but it's good. <laughs> the war is on, motherfucker. Something's going to burn, something's going to burn down. Wickedness and fire, the devil is loose. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. I know I didn't leave this television on. You trying to run up my bill? You trying to run a whole lot of damn things. That Robert Kennedy, the Attorney General, is talking shit. Meaningless moral gesture. He calls our plan to get his brother, President John Kennedy, to escort a black child to school in the segregated South a meaningless moral gesture. He's talking shit. How the Kennedys, as descendants of immigrants, could point to a background of oppression. His family pulled themselves up with luck. A black man could be president in 40 years. 40 years. Negroes were here long before the ancestors of the Kennedys, and the fact that a Kennedy is already the damn president and the attorney general, while the black man is still required to supplicate and beg you for gestures is a meaningless moral gesture. Now, I know I didn't leave this television plan. <laughs> mm -mm. Peter, is that you? Are you here? Where are you? Because I didn't leave the television plane, did I? I know I ain't crazy. Drunk, maybe? <laughs> High off reefer, none of your business. <laughs> but I did not leave this set running. He turns off the television set. But you better believe this country is running out. It is running out of time. It is running out of sink. It is running out of cash. With a man who can spit on you and call you nigger, and I best like it if I want to live. The telephone rings. It's Lorraine Hansberry. Hello. I rejoiced when I heard them say, let us go into the house of the Lord. But our house is burning down, brother. What shall we do? Sister Lorraine, behold, the Lord will come with fire and with the chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. That history will remember these times with words and photos of white men standing on the necks of black women. For by fire, and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. I hope Mr. Attorney General realizes that real resistance is coming. Maybe the meeting will lead to some type of action. We were not a group of Negroes begging the white power structure to be nice, to be nice to Negroes. We are black <coughs> citizens saying that this is an emergency for our country as Americans. God sent Noah, the rainbow side, no more water, the fire next time. And they say, my Lord, he calls me, he calls me by the thunder. The trumpet sounds within my soul.
know that. At that time, Lorraine Hansberg was diagnosed with cancer. She died a year later. Fiery souls, fiery spirits, fiery James Baldwin, fiery Elena Horn, fiery Lorraine Hansberry. If you get a chance, there is a book called The Cross of the Redemption. I'm not going to read this one. I'm just going to hold this one up because I want to close out. Let's do more dialogue in. But this is an amazing book. It's called The Cross of Redemption, Uncollected Writing. Um, these are some of the writings of James Baldwin that never got published. And there's an account in this book called The Summit. And Baldwin speaks very candidly. He, he, he did that in like 1979. I had not read it. I found it when I was doing a salon in LA just about three months ago. Don't to show you how you start something. I am still learning and adding on to things. Never knew this book existed. This book had been around for about two years. I found this in my library in LA. It's been traveling with me. I gotta take it back. <laughs> uh, but I've been reviewing it offline, uh, online, I should say, all the time. So I've had it now for like, I can't get it back. So I'm, but I, I gotta renew all the way through this, um, through my tour. <laughs> so, uh, um, okay, Christmas gift. <laughs> when I come back, for the five next time. But no, I, I'm just, I, you, you, one thing about Baldwin, you get so hooked. I mean, there are things in here that I did not imagine, but there's a wonderful, oh, he talks about Lorraine in such a beautiful way, in a way I've never heard someone talk about Lorraine Hansberg and what she meant in that meeting. Black women, I'm just going to say it, you have such power. And I know sometimes, I have mother. My mother raised seven children. I know how it can be. She's gone now, but sometimes you get a different rap. Well, my brothers and sisters, we gotta love them in all their glory for who they are. Because it's through that birth channel that we got here. And we inhabit God So I want you to get that and read that. That's just a side thing that I want you to do. And you see how I get touched. But um because uh, the black woman to me is a very powerful thing. Um, let's do a few little questions. And we know how we're going to play. Any questions about the reading? Any questions about Baldwin that's on your mind? There's a microphone. Yes, there's a microphone there. Um, how we can do it, if you don't want to get up, I'll tell you what. Who do the Oprah thing? Okay. Who wants to answer a question? Now I'm, I'm, on, I'm on my own show up in Enoch Library. And my producer, hi, Carla. Carla and I went to high school together. She's, she's my big groupie now. She follows me when I come to the East Coast. Raise your hand. My big groupie. She comes from D.C. Any questions? Yes. I have a comment. I have a question. First of all, thank you for your wonderful presence and your great performance, for lack of a better word. I believe that Baldwin wrote as a black and as an American, and I certainly know that I read him many times as a white and as an American, I do not consider this event today a black event or a white event. It's a distinctly American event. And now I will ask, why are there so few whites here? Well, that he, the question is, why are there so <clears throat> few whites here? 
Well, being the African-American that I am, and I'm mixed with a lot of other things, too, you know what? <clears throat> I think that the people that are here are here because they want to be here. Now, if we want more people here, it's very simple. You go tell them. Go, go tell them on the mountain that when we come back, we're reading uh, the fire next time and see what's what. Because I think that as far, and you're right about that, Baldwin did not want to be classified as a black writer. He wanted to be an American writer. And, um, but here's the, here's the thing. We live in a country that has a catch-22, you know, and, and remember, Baldwin left this country in 1948 to go to Paris. Let's just deal with that, okay? And I called it the expatriate years. From 1948 to 1955, he went to Paris. And guess what? He finished his first book was Go Tell It on the Mountain, which was really about him growing up in Harlem. So his first book was finished in Paris. I think sometimes that whole thing is, and this may or may not answer your question, I think we hit that. Um, we sometimes, we have to go, as I think Edward Albee said this in the zoo story, we have to go outside or around or a long distance to come all the way back to home. And so, for our, as Baldwin says, we got to love our brothers and sisters. But in order for that to happen, to get more people up in here, you have to go to the mountain, you got to tell them. And now you can, you're now the witness to bear witness to what you saw. If it's something you feel that they need, then they'll invite me back and we can continue the dialogue. But now we have Skype. We have a lot of other ways to get people inside of a room. But you will never have this experience that we're having now. It's our once in a lifetime chance experience. And from this particular experience, you got your charge. You know what book you're reading. You know what you have to write. And you have your assignment. Now, it didn't cost you nothing. <laughs> well, your tax dollars. <laughs> That's working. But is that, is that okay? Was that, that's about the best I can do with that. But you can go tell them. You can tell them what you experienced. And thank you for the compliment. Uh, I have to give all that to teachers and uh, my, 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 my kindergarten teachers because I know my teachers from kindergarten up. Mrs. Gibson was my kindergarten teacher. Ms. Bowie was my first grade teacher. Ms. Harris was my second grade teacher. Ms. Highsmith was a third grade teacher. I had Ms. Payne in the fourth grade. I had Ms. Purcell in the fifth. And I had three sixth grade teachers. Ms. Falk. Ms. Merrifield and Ms. Keaton. They were trying to get us to change classes around, so Ms. Keaton handled all the math. Ms. Merrifield handled all the uh, social studies and elocution. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, we had elocution. <laughs> and Mrs. Falk handled all the reading, and that's why I talk the way I talk. <laughs> Any more questions? Yes. You need the microphone now. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my Oprah thing. We'll, everybody go on. Maybe we'll show this to Oprah and go, you know what, Oprah, we now have some different types of ways to talk. I've, I've always been curious um, about Baldwin's um, relationship with the other expats when he was um, in Paris. My, um, uh, I'm a fan of Chester Himes, and <laughs> my mother tells people, oh, my daughter's in love with a dead man. <laughs> So, you know, at that time, I believe Chester was there, Richard Wright was there, um, and he may have even been there when um, Sweetback, Melvin Van, Pe yeah. Mel Melvin Van Peebles uh, went to Europe to, um, oh, to interview Chester Heim. So, you know, I was just curious about Baldwin's interaction with those artists. You know what? Great question. Um, the, the best person that probably could answer that question would be Paula Baldwin Whaley. You know that James Baldwin's sister lives in Baltimore. Does everybody know that? Okay, now you know. 
I'm letting it all out. I'm letting it all out today. Yes, she has a wonderful gallery um, down on um, North Charles at 21st Street. And I don't, she's not called a doll maker. Now y'all have to, I want y'all to get this right. She's called a soft sculpture artist. She makes dolls, and the dolls are about healing. The story that she told me is that when James Baldwin passed away, that was one of the things that allowed her to heal. So now you have a Baldwin person that's nearby that you can actually go to. Her gallery is open. She does rent space to different people, um, and she has different programs there all the time. So just wanted to, that, that will be one of the ways to get that. But to answer briefly that question, um, Baldwin was there and. 40, 48 um, in Paris was called those hot years where it's called black noir. Oh, they, they film noir, they were N-O-I-R, they always talk about when blacks was there. And at that time, there was Nina Simone came through there at some point in time. Of course, there was Josephine Baker. Um, there was Richard Wright. There were a number of expats that actually you might not know because they're not as famous. But there's some wonderful books that deal with expatriates. And that's what they called them at the time. Um, and that's why I think they, they would meet at cafes. I was in um, Paris about a year ago, and I was in the, they met in the Latin Quarter. I went to a restaurant where Baldwin and Richard Wright used to hang out. Now, y'all know that Richard Wright and Baldwin, they had a little riff. And y'all know that we always have riffs for different people as we go through our phases. We, ha- we all have them. But one of the things about the riff between Wright and Baldwin was the thing was is that Wright actually helped Baldwin out when he was there. But Baldwin was spending a lot of time doing notes of a native son, and he wanted to be the next writer. So what do we do when we want a position sometimes? We sometimes try to ruin or kill the person that we think that's in our way. And Baldwin took and apologized after, Ball, after um, Wright passed away in a wonderful poem about how he thought that he didn't do the right thing. So, but they, they helped each other out. But it was a lot of people there. And I'm, I'm going to be in L.A. I'm doing a three-part series of a salon at Folks Homes. And the next series is going to be um, James Baldwin in Paris, the early expatriate years from 1948 to 55. So I'm going to be continuing to study that. Yes, sir. Yes, thank you for your presentation. It's beautiful. Um, you touched on it a bit. Uh, it's the affirming nature. Uh, Baldwin affirming nature of other activists and other activists uh, affirming nature of Baldwin. And uh, it sort of uh, remind me of the, the event with the Grammys just a few, a week ago. Um, one of the artists wasn't, didn't stand for another artist receiving a, uh, an award. And, you know, and that was sort of not affirming the, the, uh, the significance of another artist. But, uh, Huey Newton affirmed uh, James Baldwin. Uh, I think I was listening to the program, Anthony McCartney's show last night, and I, I listened to uh, the observations that Malcolm X and a number of other civil rights activists affirmed Baldwin, and he did it uh, likewise. Can you comment a little bit more on the affirmation that the, um, the uh, civil rights activists had of one another? And, and sort of bring it to, you know, and, you know, why is that not possible among our young artists today? That last part is deep. Um, you know what? I'm going to, I'm, I, some people say you, you try to stay in lanes. I think one of the best ways to try to answer that question as honestly as I can, based on what I actually really know and, and, and what I'm still learning. Um, artists back then, we have to realize we didn't have all the distractions. The distraction was 
I can't get past that color fountain. <laughs> that was the, everybody, everybody was trying to get that done, and they were trying to get to equality. Now, black people were doing fine before integration. Because not fine in the sense that we had some of the own things that we had. We had stores. We had some stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, in schools. Now, in, in my neighborhood where I grew up, I grew up on the 400 block of Q Street. And this is how it goes. Mrs. Roberta Williams, she was at 424. She had a candy store. But she was a number runners. Money fled through there. It was just a part of the environment. We all went to a storefront church. The Muslims had their place across the street, mosque number two, number four. I played with Zeke on the daytime, but I couldn't go to the mosque because I had to go to the Baptist church. But we played in the same field. We grew up together. We, didn't, we, we just accepted each other for what they were. We were fine. Drugs a lot, in that particular thing. Integration was the whole thing that we were trying to get done. We were just trying to get equality. Somehow it got meshed into something else. That's what happens with artists as you actually grow. I just recently did a pilot for a TV show. And y'all look out for this because if it gets picked up, then I can fly back in more. <laughs> it's called The Trojan, uh, it's called A Trophy Wife. This brother who decided to do this, he did a web show. He actually got all of his friends that were artists to come in to help him make sure this works. He called in on Denise Williams, who went right to Morgan State. She plays a singing judge in this show. <laughs> He called in on Ray Parker Jr. because he did, a, he did a documentary on them. He called on Sly Stone. Sly plays a um, waiter in this piece. <laughs> this, this is going to show you artists, you know. We, we some, and we don't hear about these. Now, if this show doesn't get picked up, you'll never know. But it has up until June to do that. I, I shot that before I got here. And we sometimes work and do things as artists that you never see. I'm in the same union as Denzel Washington, Halle Berry. I have to pay my dues at six months whether I work or not. So Baldwin and all of those folk that got together for that meeting, those artists, they had different opinions and views, but they came together for the common cause. Can we get folk now to do that? We well, I think it's possible. I think, and, and the reason I say it's, po it's possible, the fact that we're talking about it. Because remember, this meeting was talking about, Kennedy just mentioned that perhaps with luck, within 40 years, there will be a black president. If you talk about it long enough, some action will happen. Now, you do have to put some action behind this talk, okay? I've had this book sitting in my computer because the playwright died and I was mad because the playwright died. I said, well, what am I going to do? I finally published it and now I'm talking around the United States. Um, that's the best I can do with that. What I think we should do with that particular question is to, if we can, uh, let's post that somewhere on some emailable things and see if we can get some other thoughts because I think you might be on to something. That can be something that can be funded. That can be another whole conversation of June is Black History um, uh, as Music Month, I should say. Maybe those will be some times whereby some, some of those things can come up and bring the young artists in and talk to them about it because a lot of times we're talking to us in our own minds and now we have to open that conversation up. Like today, the, what, how when I do salons, they're all different. This one is designed for you, specifically, on, based on what you want. I can only come in and start a process, but like I said, I'm a cultural architect for public engagement. We're engaging you in conversation by using this little book. Hope that helps.
two more questions. Okay, two more questions. That means we're on time. I just want to make a comment. I think one of the things we need to stay aware of is that the media, the information we get via media, mainstream media, isn't always accurate. And we saw that with the presidential election, how President Obama was all sh always shown not being in the lead. And then when they did the analysis of the data afterwards, they only had picked a certain population to get their information from, whereas online, the young people had it right. They knew. So I think as not being a part of that generation, we need to recognize how young people communicate and contact those sources to kind of evaluate where they are. Because I don't think mainstream media do them justice. Okay. I, I got, I, okay, I'm going to get you, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to get you, and I'm going to finish up with you, and then I'm going to do this poem. We're going to wrap up. Well, I guess my concern is that young people assume that because they saw it on television, it's so. And so we need to help them to understand how to vet everything that they see in print or hear. And now when I say vet, I mean to be able to take it, write it down, or, or use the, I guess the way they do is their, their iPhones or what, to get all the information, blah, 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 but then go back and see if they can find out the sources of some of those things. And I believe that the, this last session with, with, with our president, a lot of stuff was jacked up because young people did not understand that they were not getting accuracy. So it, we, we, that's, 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 I think that's the charge all of us as mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers, cousins, whoever knows how to read well to begin to understand that we need to be sure we vet the information that we are reading. That, that, that's very powerful. These last two comments were very powerful. And I hope you heard them clearly. And let's act on them. Let me make sure I get you. That's wonderful. Let me get you. And I'm coming back, 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 back. What's your name, baby? Because you're waiting patiently. So I'm, I have to come stand. Everybody look this way. Because she had her hand up for a long time. Yeah, I'm in Baltimore City in February. We usually study on Black History Month. And... February 3rd, Baltimore City won the Super Bowl, NFL Super Bowl, and they showed their great appreciation and integration on February 5th with this, you know, the Baltimore's the NFL parade, and it, it was just really great. I mean, it was just a city of love on that day. So 50 years later, we're celebrating the Baltimore City winning the NFL AFC Super Bowl championship for the United States. For the United States of America. Now, see, I, I like that. <laughs> Using all, you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk by. Do, do I have time for one more question? Okay, one more. This isn't a question, but I think that since we have an assignment to read the fire next time and write a paragraph, I think we should have an email address to send them to at the library. Okay. So that's my comment. Um, can we, we can, can we work that out? She'll address that. Okay. I have, we'll address that last. Uh, or, or maybe we can assign somebody. But where, where's that hand? I saw that one little hand. Okay, I'm going to come back to you. This is going to be the last, like, comment, comment. And I'm going to let you address that. And we're going to Nikki Giovanni, and then we're going to sign some books. <laughs> I had wanted you to comment um, a little bit on the next generation's acceptance of Baldwin. I know that he had... Uh, trouble with Eldridge Cleaver, right. um, to talk a little bit about that, but also about um, his challenge of the arch archetype of masculinity. Okay. 
All right, the challenge of the archetype of masculinity and moving forward to the new generation of the people who are going to take over for us. Did I get that right? Okay, so here's the thing. Baldwin was, I consider him a prophet. I think he, he was not before his time. He was right in his time, and the time is now. <laughs> so one of the ways to address that, everybody knows that Baldwin was an op openly gay black man. Let's just get over it, and everybody say he's an openly gay black man. Okay, that's it. That's, all I'm gonna, that's how I'm going to address that, but that wasn't a whole issue in his life. The first book that he wrote was Go Tell It on the Mountain, which was about the black church. The second book that he wrote was Giovanni's Room, which is about a gay life. Then the other books came after that, Fire Next Time. My favorite book happens to be Tell Me How Long the Train's Been Going. I'm giving you, th I'm giving you this list of books because this is what I want you to read. Because we got to read them. You can read them on Kindle. We can read them in groups. Do you know when I was in college, how I got through my Shakespeare class? I would go and get the album. You had to go get the albums then. And we, and, and we would listen to the albums and we would read the Shakespeare. The Ides of March, did not great Julius beat for justice sake, but Glenn touched his body to this, that, but shall one of us have struck the foremost man of all the world was supporting robbers. That's how we got through it. I can say it now. That was 25 years ago. <laughs> so we have to use what we got to get them in. Now, for young people, for them to get into Baldwin, there's several ways to get into Baldwin. When I do this presentation, I can do a presentation on this book several different ways. Today, take care. Okay, I'm so glad you all came. Let's give them a round of applause. I met them. I met them just two, three days ago, and they had something else to do, but they came here first, and so I gotta acknowledge you, Miss Harrison. I'm glad. I'm gonna call you before I leave town. Okay. All right. All right. Peace and blessings. Okay. So. Getting back to that question is that I think you, what we want to do is that we want to use this library and start finding all the books. And we find next time is the right book to get them into it because it was a letter written to a 15-year-old. And that, 15, we got, that, that, that letter still remains today. And if I think if we start there, uh, it'll be a wonderful way for us to get into Baldwin. Now, getting Baldwin into schools has always been difficult. I don't know why it's not on everybody's reading curriculum, but I can tell you the Library of Congress has the Fire Next Time as a change lifer book in America. It's on their 50-plus, their top list. So that's why we're starting at the top there, and then we can work our way around. I will give you my email address, and let's relate for a little bit. Maybe we can find... Thank you so much. Maybe we can find a wonderful program. Everybody give Anthony McCarthy a wonderful. Yes, I am doing it. On May, on May the 10th, he's actually going to be doing the Anthony McCarthy Award uh, this year. He's giving out Civil Rights Awards this year on May 10th. He's really been doing a wonderful job and keep other legacy things together. So I just have to acknowledge that. And I was on his radio show for a whole hour yesterday. You can't buy that time. <laughs> so thank you so much, Anthony. I just had to take that publicly. All right. So I'll give you my email address and then we can. And, I'm sorry. My email address is really easy. It's Charles Reese 63 at gmail.com. Isn't that easy? All right. My whole name. And when you get the book, you can spell it right. <laughs> and it's inside the book. All right. So let me let, let me. Is everybody OK? Let, let, me, let me move on along because I know people. Um, I, first of all, I've had a wonderful time and I hope you all had a wonderful time because I've enjoyed you so much. I'm going to do, um, you know what, let's, let's just put some music, I'm going to let you answer that question, do, or do y'all really want to hear this nigga Giovanni poem? Okay, let me let you do what you need to do so that we can close all our business up, 
and now I'm going to come here and get some books. You go over there, you see her, you buy a book, it's $15. Now, um, our little swap thing ain't working today, but we will take a check. You make it out to Charles Reese. R-E-E-S-E, or you can do cash, or buy someone for somebody. So if you want to give somebody some money, you can buy it as groups. You go there, you pick up your book, and I'll be here waiting for you, and you can ask a few little questions, and we'll sign some books, and we're going to take one good group picture before we get out. How's that? All right, answer that question about the email stuff. Let's say all our thank yous, and I'll do Nikki Giovanni last. Okay, thank you. Okay, since I've been put on the spot, the email address, you can send it to the African American Department's email address, which is AFM at prattlibrary.org. Again, AFM at prattlibrary.org. Um, we want to thank Charles. We're going to do all our thank yous before he sings, um, gives his poem. But I also want to encourage you that we have um, a very nice display in the um, Annex in the African American Department celebrating the 150th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's March on Washington, I Have a Dream, and the 57th um, inauguration of President Barack Obama. So it's a really nice exhibit. You should go down and check it out before you leave today at 5 o'clock. So here again, Mr. Reese. You're so wonderful. Give her a round of applause. You know what? I love when print is so small. It's like that, and you're like, ooh. But you know what? I'm going to work myself through it. How about that? And I'm going to put this down. Y'all can hear me? Y'all think I need this? Okay, I'm going to put this down so I can move around. So this poem is very simple, and I'm going to read this wonderful French. Um, uh, Nikki Giovanni wrote this poem in honor of James Baldwin uh, about 11 years ago, and I actually heard her do it live. And I think it's just a wonderful way to end a great evening. And it's called Making James Baldwin. Everyone go, Making James Baldwin? Making James Baldwin. What does this mean? County Coven taught you in junior high in Harlem with that great history of Renaissance, but only Langston remained. What does it mean when you know you really don't want to deliver packages or be some sort of clerk in a back room somewhere way downtown? What does it mean when you know what nobody has told you? You were before him whom you call father, who didn't so much dislike you as simply not understand why you were a witness that he wasn't first. And you had all this to deal with while thinking, maybe I'm not good looking, and maybe I'm not ordinary. Would that make you a James Baldwin? So, when you are looking around and you realize you're angry because it just ain't right that people who look like you, people who are small and black and lonely, but bright and funny and sweet can't find a way in this world. And every time you do something you think is so pretty wonderful, that man um, whom you call father is trying to grind you down to his size, which ain't so much small as afraid of what's out there. And somehow you keep trying. So, to please the unpleasable, so you kitty preach in church because at least everybody says amen. 
and you think, I found my place, but you know you can't find a place where people still look at what your heart desires and what your arms desires and what your arms need as the worst sin, worse than lynching black men and women, worse than denying prescription drugs to old people, worse than withholding vaccinations from poor children, worse than anything because even bad off N-I-G-G-E-R's want to find something worse than their pitiful lives. And they are trying to use you and your talent and your hopes and dreams to make themselves more whole. Would that make you a James Baldwin and then it occurs to you? If a deer in headlights, if you are a deer in headlights, move and avoid being steamrolled. Move and don't take the madness. Move and write your books and determine never to deny what your heart knows. Truer, never turn your back on what your mind knows is right. Never refuse to hear the cry of the anguish or the laughter in the blues. Do it all. One time you go around is the only time to do it. So stand up and be a stand-up guy who stands up first for yourself. Then all the people who need an arm to lean on or a heart to hear, a voice to raise for the righteousness of it. And maybe, just maybe, that would make you a James Bond.